Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my studios in beautiful South Bend, Indiana. And sitting across from me is the man who was the body model for the Touchdown Jesus Mosaic on Notre Dame's Hesburgh Library, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers of the class of 1988. How are you, Deacon? (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm doing well. (laughs) It's just the way your arms are so beautiful when you you raise them in in that style, which implies both the Lord is coming back and he's excited about the latest touchdown that really works for me. (laughs) That's <laughs> pretty awesome, man. That's a little bit more svelte back in those days, too. So, <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're you're uh, you're still a handsome guy, and as everybody always says, you have such a great face for radio. So that's really really good stuff, right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yes, yeah, this. Uh, so, how are things going for you this summer? It's been great. Uh, we, let's see, uh, you know, we did the big road trip and then, uh, got back and I had a wonderful chance to attend, uh, and participate in the Napa Institute conference in, uh, in Napa, uh, where I got to connect with so many great Catholic apostolates and, and folks, uh, I reconnected with, I reconnected with a, a friend. I don't know. Have you ever met Father, uh, Robert Spitzer? The Jesuit uh, priest. Yeah. So, so Father Spitzer, as it turns out, used to fill in on Sundays at my parish growing up in Des Moines, Washington. Uh, he would do Sunday uh, service because uh, he was at Seattle University teaching, and I used to be an altar server for him when I was in wow. uh, late grade school and early high school, and I had not seen him you know, in the flesh since probably, well, since he left Seattle University. So that would have been in the mid, mid nineties. Uh, and when he went off to Gonzaga and, uh, so it was a chance I actually got to sit at, with him at dinner and have a lovely chat. And, uh, of course he's incredibly brilliant and yes. has been for, you know, forever. Um, and he has that wonderful show on EWTN, EWTN, you know, uh, father Spitzer's world, uh, and universe. His universe. universe, that's right. Not even yeah. just the, the world. world cannot contain him. We gotta put him <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> Jimmy Aiken is limited to a world, and right. Robert Spitzer, Father Father Spitzer has a whole universe. That's right. <laughs> um, so just a great chance to reconnect with him and um and then again, yeah, to connect with some wonderful other apostolates from around the around the nation and and uh, just and and faithful people. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, and my own director, whom I've mentioned before, Carter Sneed, uh, gave a keynote address in which he talked about uh, kind of some of the the, the uh, what he writes about in his book, um, what it means to be human. And uh, so it was a it was time well spent for for us. So that was a that was a highlight of the summer. I've got to say. Oh, all right. I've always wanted to go to that. Maybe I'll go to that one of these years. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see so many uh, people. 
uh, that, you know, come from around America and, um, you know, lots of apostolates that are looking for support, of course, uh, you know, because you also have um, very, uh, you know, Catholics who gather who are, you know, uh, in a position to be able to support wonderful work. And so it's a it's a really great, uh, great gathering of people and prayer and fellowship over over food and drink and great presentations and panel discussions. So highly recommended if you if you're in a position to be able to go sometime. And I'm not gonna lie to you, Napa, California is pretty beautiful too. So we had a we had a lovely time. So uh, oh, that was awesome. the highlight. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, and we've had so many highlights going through the gospel of life, Evangelium Vitae by Saint John Paul too. You know, and uh and we're gosh, we're always the I think it's the last chapter here before the conclusion. You know, chapter yeah. four, you did it to me for a new culture of human life. Um, and uh, he, he starts out with a quote from First Peter, chapter two, you are God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. People of life and for life. Love that. It's so amazing because... Here we are going to move into the importance of proclaiming the gospel, of actually um, bringing people around to understand what, not only why do we promote life, but how can we create an actual culture of life. That's what this this entire chapter and the rest of the of the encyclical will be about, and. Um, he says, you know, with humility and gratitude, we know that we are the people of life and for life. And this is how we present ourselves to everyone. And he calls for an interior renewal for us to be ourselves rededicated constantly to this mission. He says we need to be renewed by the grace of the spirit who is the Lord and giver of life. Right. We say that when we proclaim the, uh, the creed every Sunday, we have become a people for life and we are called to act accordingly. Because we have been sent, as he says, for us, being at the service of life is not a boast, but rather a duty. Everyone has an obligation to be at the service of life. We have to preach the gospel of life, to celebrate it in the liturgy and in our whole existence, and to serve it, as he says, with the various programs and structures which support and promote life. So that's kind of setting forth the the roadmap for this entire chapter is we're going to talk about it, how we preach it, how we celebrate it, how we serve it with programs and structures. And so that's what uh, all of this chapter four is going to be about. Yeah, absolutely. And in paragraph uh, 80 says, Jesus is the only gospel. We have nothing further to say or any other witness to bear. Mic drop. Jesus is the gospel. Yeah. It's not about reading the gospel. It's Jesus is the gospel. That's right. It, it, but see, that's the beautiful thing. Is this doesn't mean good news. Yes, evangelium and, and evangelion in Greek. Yes, it means good news. But if you look deeper at the etymology, you see that when Caesar proclaimed news, it was not just good news. It was life-changing news. Right? Because yeah. news from the king could change your life. For you know, good or and, for ill. And that's why Jesus is the gospel, yeah. because it's the encounter with him that can change your life. You know, This and, is the beginning of the gospel of John, right? I mean, talking about the word. The word was made flesh. It's not necessarily what's written down. The word is a person, Jesus Christ. He is himself the good news. 
Yeah, he says that's why the Holy Father says to proclaim Jesus is itself to proclaim life. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. life. Right? <laughs> so so life, because he's God, so he's life. You know, it's, it's beautiful. So to proclaim Christ is to proclaim life. And this is why I get perplexed when I see um some of our Christian brothers and sisters, for example, going out and blessing a Planned Parenthood when it opens. Mm. Or, or or praying that abortion stay legal. I'm like, wait a wait a minute, what what gospel are we preaching here? You yeah. know, and it reminds me of Saint Paul's warning. But you know, um, beware of those who are preaching a false gospel. You know, I mean, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you're preaching uh, a, a position that's counter to life, and even supporting organizations that are counter to life. Eesh, yikes. I mean, how could you? I mean, I don't see how in good conscience you can justify that um, unless you're poorly formed or, again, as we talked about last time, Ken, you, you don't understand the true meaning of freedom, you know, yep. when you buy into the lie of the culture. Um, and so you don't see yourself as a person of faith working to transform the culture more into Christ. You're allowing Christ teaches to be changed and manipulated by the culture. You see, so it's backwards. Yeah. I kind of think he's absolutely backwards. It's, um, uh, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm heartbroken by the examples you've given there, you know, yeah. To see, you know, people who are, who are self-proclaimed Christians who are participating in, or, or escorting people into, you know, clinics and things like that. You'll, you'll see this, uh, and and it's it is absolutely heartbreaking and and those are the people that we need to pray for too because they are themselves in grave danger right last week you talked about material formal cooperation uh and i one would definitely have to argue formal cooperation with evil would be the person who is escorting someone into a clinic you know that's more than just material they are actually making it happen right here and right now and these are their counter signs is what they are they're counter to the gospel they're they're scandalous um and they they put up stumbling blocks for us which is really what a scandal is is a stumbling block yeah, absolutely. And 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 the Holy Father gives us a call to action right in that same paragraph, right the last line of paragraph 80. We need to bring the gospel of life to the heart of every man and woman and to make it penetrate every part of society. That's our goal. Yes. You know, again, we we can't argue, we should not be arguing over how to do that. There are many different ways to accomplish that, but each of us in our own way, in the way that God has caused to, has to do this. We have to make that gospel of, of life penetrate the darkness, because that's the light, because Christ is the light, and that light has to penetrate the darkness. It's, it's an affirmation of the, in the next paragraph, it's an affirmation of the inseparable connection between the person, his life, and his bodiliness. <laughs> bodiliness, I'm going to say that word. Yeah. But, but Why? Because, I mean, we, we live in a culture now where atheism says that we're nothing but a collection of molecules. You know, we're, we're accidents of the universe. We're um, the products of evolution. So that's why, I mean, after we're done, we die in the ground. That's it. There's nothing else. You know, uh, so we're not just in a, ran a, a random uh, arrangement of molecules. There is a difference between me and a chair. 
<laughs> you yep. know, it's, it's not just a different arrangement of molecules. No, it's, there's something deeper here. And, and it's that truth and it's that reality that we have to make present in this culture today. It, part of that, uh, what makes us different is the fact that we are in relationship and we are aware of the relationships in which we are in, right? Human life is, um, is created through relationship, through the interpersonal relationship of mother and father create a human life, right? They co-create with God when uh, uh, parents, you know, are, are together, um, and it is, as John Paul writes, he, he writes about the uh, sincere gift of self here. We've heard this language before, but here it is. The sincere gift of self is the fullest way to realize our personal freedom. Because when mother and a father give themselves fully to the other, they are open to the creation, the, to begin becoming co-creators with God. Um, sexuality and procreation are themselves they reach their full significance in this total gift of self, total gift, total gift and total gift of receptivity, total openness to, to the, the gift. Um, and in reality, suffering and death are also part of this love too, right? We've talked before about euthanasia and, and how the, um, how death itself is part of the process of life that the, the dying person offers much to the people who are gathered around who love and the people who love the family gathered around the dying person also is giving themselves as gift to the dying person in their presence, in their compassion, in their suffering with. Um, and so this idea of the total gift of self, um, the, and, and also gracious receiving. So, disinterested, you know, or, or fully engaged gift to and total openness to receive are flip sides of the same coin that are, again, reflections of the relationship that God has with us as created beings. We owe everything to him, and we then, therefore, we hand on this gift that we have received, too. No, absolutely. And any, any challenges, uh, teachers— Catechists, theologians specifically, especially in those uh, areas where they're uh, responsible for teaching the faith. He says in, in paragraph 82, faced with so many opposing points of view and a widespread rejection of sound doctrine concerning human life, he reminds us of Paul's entreaty to Timothy, preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. You know, those are strong words, powerful words. Paul's trying to encourage Timothy. Yes, you know, there are people that are against you. Yes, the culture will be against you, but stay strong because ultimately the truth is going to prevail. And he even challenges bishops. He said the bishops have to be the first ones called to be untiring preachers of the gospel um, and faithful. And he says, may they never be so grievously irresponsible as to betray the truth of their own mission by proposing personal ideas contrary to the gospel of life as faithfully presented and interpreted by the magisterium. Amen. Oof. I mean, it, that, that cuts to the heart, right? This sentence here right above that. We need to make sure that in theological faculties, seminaries, and Catholic institutions, 
sound doctrine is taught, explained, and more fully investigated. Tell you what, I don't know, if I was sitting maybe in an office at a tier one research institution that happens to have maybe Our Lady on top of uh, its main administration building, I would f- hear this and think we need to redouble our efforts to to, again, make sure that sound doctrine is taught, explained, and more fully investigated. That needs to be taking place at every one of our Catholic schools, everywhere, at every level. We need to be teaching the truth of the gospel in our grade schools, in our high schools, in our universities, in our colleges, seminaries, institutes of learning, and in the books that we publish when we're explaining the truths of the faith. We need to do it in love, but we need to fully commit ourselves to the truth and not to, as as you pointed out before, the um, personal ideas contrary to the gospel of life. You know, and that's a, uh, <laughs> I think that's deep food for thought for a lot of our Catholic institutions. You know, not naming any names, but I mean, but, you know, what, what, you, what we want to avoid is capitulation to the culture. Right. We, we don't want to become institutions where we're more concerned about our U.S. News and World Report ranking uh, than we are about our Catholic identity, you know? And not only that, the people that make the decision to be employed, whether to teach or to work at an institution of faith, um, you know, even, even if they are not Catholic, should still be able to uphold the teachings of the, of the faith. Um, and the people that are Catholics that are working these institutions should be striving to live the faith. Yes. It's not just, okay, I'm here teaching the theory, but when I go home, I do whatever I want. I live however I want to live. No, no, it, it should be both and, and the university should help to encourage and empower people of faith to live their faith with passion and conviction. Because I think they could be better witnesses to the faith when you have that balance of head and heart. Uh, you have the you have the academic, and but also the spiritual formation as well. Absolutely. So all of this section that we've been talking about so far has been how do we preach the gospel of life? How do we uh, proclaim it to the world? And the second part then uh, in this chapter that John Paul is talking about is how do we celebrate the gospel of life? How do we celebrate and become people that you know infect others with our joy? about life. And so paragraph 83 begins this, I give you thanks that I am fearfully, wonderfully made, celebrating the gospel of life. And there he's quoting Psalm 139. As he says, because we've been sent into the world as a people for life, our proclamation must also become a genuine celebration of the gospel of life. This celebration, with the evocative power of its gestures, symbols, and rites, should become a precious and significant setting in which the beauty and grandeur of this gospel is handed on. So here he's inviting us, John Paul, is inviting us to be people of celebration and of joy. And he says for this to happen, we need, first of all, to foster in ourselves and in others a contemplative outlook. We need to accept reality as a gift from the creator. The reality of life is that we are created beings, which implies, again, a relationship with our creator. We need to find meaning in every circumstance, and we need to enter into encounter, dialogue, and solidarity. And so that means we need to be willing to engage every person 
about life. We need to be able to engage and be willing to have these conversations and not just assume that person is closed to hearing the gospel. That person is closed to hearing about the joy of parenthood. We need to actually be able to enter into encounter and dialogue with people all across the spectrum on the question. But then we also need to enter into, as he says, solidarity with those who are in difficult situations. This is where we actually, the rubber hits the road and we're supporting, you know, maternity homes for those who are in difficult situations. We're actually providing foster care and we're uh, supporting adoption and alternatives to abortion for those who are in a difficult situation who can't raise their child. We don't leave them with only one option, the only, the option that's offered by Planned Parenthood and its ilk. We actually provide real opportunities. So we enter into solidarity. And that's for those at the beginning. And then at the end, you know, we offer hospice care. We offer, we do everything we can to support those who who are dying, who uh, are feeling alone. We are with them. We have ministries that are involved in this uh, where we accompany those who are suffering. Um, Again, to enter into solidarity and to provide true gospel accompaniment with them is some of the ways that we begin to celebrate life, as John Paul is inviting us to do. You know, of all these different dimensions of celebrating the gospel of life, I think the one that strikes me the most, and I think that we, as a a people of faith, and particularly as Catholics, uh, need to spend more time on is the contemplative outlook, as he calls it. I mean, think about it. Sperm and an egg. (laughs) It's too... Is two microscopic realities come together, and then you have the 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 the, the cell division, you know, and 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 think, of, and and then uh, all of the organs start to form from all that nervous systems and spinal cords and bones, and, and it becomes a a person that ultimately could impact the world. I mean, this is a baby that has to be nurtured and fostered for years. Um, they as they begin to learn. As they begin to uh, understand the environment around them, as they begin to learn language and culture, you know, faith, they understand who they are in relation to God. And and this this goes to the whole spectrum of life. And, and just to think about how that all starts and how every single person should have the opportunity to experience that, you know, um, and the impact that this person could make, not only in our lives, but in, but in the in the world. You know, I mean, I I think we're all called to impact the world in some sense. I'm not talking about becoming famous in the eyes of of the world. I'm talking about making impact for Christ. Christ has a specific um, calling for every single person he created. And who are we to deny that individual the chance to see how God wants to use them in this world? You know, everybody says, oh, we need a we need a uh, a cure for AIDS. We need a cure. How do we know that we haven't aborted the person that God has planned to be that cure for, 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 for uh, diseases in the world? How do we know that, you see? So we have to give everyone an opportunity. And even at the end of life, look at the rich treasury. I mean, I, I think of so many elderly sitting in assisted living communities or, or nursing homes rotting away the the experiences the wisdom that's being lost 
that's being, you know, I mean, we that those are things, those are resources we can tap into to learn more about our past, to learn more about ourselves, you know, um, as we continue to move forward and to make things better in this world, you know, not just put people out of their misery because they're we don't see them as productive anymore. You know, right. there's a lot, lot to think about with, with this issue of celebrating the gospel of life. Well, and the fact that this is, you know, as you, as you said, this is the contemplative outlook. The more you pray and think about these things, the the more opportunities, and the more, the more you see that there is, it, it, there's a lot to unpack, right? Um, and as as John Paul says, you know, it's time for all of us to adopt this outlook, and with deep religious awe to rediscover the ability to revere and honor every person. Um, and that's what we really need to do. And in our prayer, so then John Paul in paragraph 84, he goes on to, to write about the, you know, about the prayer that needs to accompany this celebration to reflect upon the gospel and upon the, the fact that Christ became one of us because he suffers with us. And he also provides us the way back to the father. How did Christ pray? But he prayed with the Psalms. He prayed with the scriptures. He prayed in quiet, in solitude. He prayed in community and taught us how to pray, right? And then he gave us the greatest gift of all in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And it is in the sacraments themselves that we actually find that we receive life, right? What is baptism? But it is a baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ himself. What is confirmation, but it is an outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit who is the Lord and giver of life. What is the Eucharist? But it is our way bread on the journey, without which we cannot have life. It is that which feeds us with life himself, Christ. You know, each of the sacraments draws us deeper into relationship, and it enables us, through the graces that we receive in the sacraments, to become contemplative, prayerful people who celebrate life. And that's, again, what John Paul is inviting us to do in this encyclical, and particularly here in this in this chapter. Yeah, you know, and, and I've been calling for this Eucharistic Renaissance, and I think that fits in beautifully with, with what you just uh, articulated there so well, Ken, is that, you know, uh, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. That's right. So the Eucharist as the source of life, especially coming out of COVID, everybody's coming back to mass now, a beautiful rediscovery of life, particularly in Jesus in the Eucharist. Because if Jesus is the gospel, right, and Jesus also in the, in the sacraments as well, especially the Eucharist where he gives us the gift of, gift of himself. Amen. But once again, Ken, we're out of time. Out of time, just I know. By so fast. So how can people stay in touch with us? You'll find us on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media and join our group. And uh, you can also download all the previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week for another quality conversation, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to modernrayradio.com. 
That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.